This is The Shift Podcast. Hey, thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast with John Jang. Today on the show, we're asking the question, how are you holding up? The first week is officially over in 2021, and I don't think it went according to plan. At least it didn't go according to my plan. I'm not sure about yours. We asked that question to our Shift listeners across the country, and then we dive into the biggest story in a very long time. I was going to say the biggest story of the year, but it's still, you know, January, so I guess that's not really a statement. But Donald Trump's personal Twitter account was permanently suspended by the platform. And we talk with uh, Mel Woods, the associate editor at Huffington Post Canada, on exactly how big of a story that is. If you like what you hear, don't forget to hit subscribe. And that way you can always stay tuned to what's going on on The Shift. All right, we are now joined by uh, Mel Woods. She is an associate editor at Huffington Post Canada. And when it comes to all the things that are happening on social media, especially to do with U.S. politics, you will find nobody who is more glued in and knows everything you need to know than uh, Mel Woods. So, Mel, really appreciate you giving us some time tonight here on the show. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so here we are. Uh, this is a uh, quite the day, quite the evening, really, that we witnessed on Twitter. Of all places, it always seems to be Twitter, but uh, some really big things happening. For the first time that I can think of, the President of the United States has been suspended permanently off of the Twitter platform. So what was your reaction when you saw this happening? Because certainly for a few hours, and it might even still be right now, it was the number one topic that was trending uh, on the internet, it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I think my reaction was the same as a lot of people's, which was, uh, finally. Um, it, it feels <laughs> like a very long overdue thing, considering the, the rhetoric that you've seen coming out of the U.S. president's Twitter account. Um, and so a lot of people are kind of, honestly curious as to why it took this long to happen, but also relief. Uh, and then also just a lot of um, kind of confusion because I'm watching in real time as Trump and his kind of associates are trying to find ways to get him back on Twitter through other accounts. And it's a little chaotic uh, tonight on Twitter.com. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things, too, because I saw uh, not just President Trump himself trying to find a way to snake back into Twitter somehow, but like a lot of New, brand new, fresh accounts that are obviously poking fun at what happened. Like there's a whole bunch of fake Donald Twitter accounts that uh, have suddenly gone from zero followers to like 200,000 followers in just a short few hours. And I don't know, like on one hand, I can understand because it's somebody, you know, seizing the opportunity. You see some comedy value out of making like a fake Donald Trump Twitter profile and you're having fun with it. On the other hand... It seems like a dangerous thing to do if you're going to click follow because there are some maybe social media experts out there who would say, like, we haven't really learned anything about social media. We haven't learned, like, who this person is that created this fake profile. We don't know what messages they really intend to share later on. Like, this is just kind of dangerous right now. Yeah, I mean, Twitter has, like, some pretty strict policies around impersonation and whatnot. So I think... Uh, a lot of those joke accounts and people who have switched over, I, you know, I have some people I follow on Twitter who have just switched over their profile picture and their Twitter name just to cause some confusion. Mm. Uh, I, I don't expect those to last too, too long. But I think the big concern right now for Twitter, at least, is that they're trying to stamp out Trump's use of other accounts. So while his personal, you know, real Donald Trump account has been in, you know, suspended permanently, um, he still technically had access to the POTUS account, right. to his like Team Trump account, the White House account. And he's tried throughout the evening to tweet from those accounts the same statement. And Twitter keeps like 
uh, shutting it down and then suspending some of these accounts and really just kind of put out these little spot fires that keep coming up as he tries to get a grip on the platform again. Uh, you know, when I asked you, you know, what was your reaction? You know, I think you made a lot of sense saying, finally, like this took so long. And, and I would totally agree with you. So is this Twitter, the actual company, maybe covering their own ass in the sense that they just saw what happened this week? They know that blood has been spilt, lives have been lost. Uh, and now as a company, they've decided maybe, oh, we don't want to get in more trouble uh, with, with all of the hate and all of the uh, you know right-wing extremism that's been bred on social media, maybe not just Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of other out- outlets and platforms that uh, we've seen so much uh, violent messages being shared. But this is Twitter acting way too late, way too slow. They finally did it. He's only got a few days left in his, inaug- or in his presidency before Joe Biden is inaugurated. So like in a way, th- when, when I saw this, people were like, yay, Twitter, finally, yay, this is great. Me, on the other hand, maybe I'm a skeptic. I'm like, oh, wow, finally? Like, it took you this long? Hmm, the timing can't be coincidental. No, I mean, you look back at some of his more um, egregious tweets from, you know, the last four years, last seven years. Um, like, I, I always think back to the tweet during the Black Lives Matter protests where he said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Mm. And it's like, that didn't get him suspended? Um, the, the tweets that Twitter kind of flagged out uh, in its release about this permanent suspension were two tweets that he tweeted today um, about, you know, the par- patriots who voted for him and they'll have a big voice into the future. Uh, and then another tweet about how he will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. And Twitter identified these tweets as potentially in the current political climate, adding to the violence, um, encouraging the people who have been partaking in this violence uh, and in the broader context, being kind of a problem. But it feels really weird when they're signaling singling out those tweets when there's just been some truly egregious ones in yeah. the past that yeah. have gone unchecked. And there's been calls, you know, there's been calls to deplatform Trump for a long time. This is not a new thing. And so, you know, much like we see all these sort of um, members of the administration distancing themselves this week, you have cabinet resignations, you've got staff in the White House resigning. Um, I think this is also Twitter trying to distance themselves from the you know burning pile of garbage uh, in, in these last few weeks. <laughs> well, I don't think you're wrong. And we've heard, like you say, the reports, many White House staff members uh, throwing in their resignation. I mean, they've only got uh, until the 20th, really. Uh, we'll see if it's even, even going to go that long. But originally, according to the timeline, they would have only had until the 20th to stay as a White House uh, staff member, some choosing to ex- expedite that process and uh, indeed turn in their resignation. We're in conversation with Mel Woods, associate editor at Huffington Post Canada, talking about the big story on Twitter today. That is Donald Trump's personal Twitter account being suspended permanently moving forward. And Mel, uh, when this happened, uh, like you and I, there's uh, people that might have celebrated the announcement of Donald Trump's Twitter getting banned. We certainly know there is a vocal group on the other side of the spectrum saying this is outrageous. Um, We saw Don Trump Jr., for example, uh, saying like Mao Zedong would be proud of what happened here on Twitter today. There's obviously a massive supporters uh, group that follows and, and, you know, is standing for Donald Trump no matter what. What would you say when they say this is unconstitutional, for example, you're taking away the, the right and the freedom of expression and freedom of thought, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, always linking back to the fact that, hey, the First Amendment uh, ensures that we're all allowed to speak what's on our mind? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I look to uh, the statements that the ACLU put out about all of this, which I think brings up some really important points that, you know, it is not great that Facebook and Twitter have the you know, unilateral power to just remove people from their platforms like this, especially when it's, you know, impacting uh, my, you know, minority folks, activists, those kinds of folks who are trying to get their messaging out and get deplatformed. And that's been happening a long, long before Trump got deplatformed. But at the same time, you know, Trump is a powerful figure. He has a press team. He's not really being silenced. There's going to be many, many ways for his messaging to go out. This was a thing for public safety, frankly, after what we saw happen on Wednesday and how a lot of that came from social media. This is an attempt to prevent those kinds of things happening again. And Twitter identified in their statement, you know, that there are more plans for another event like we saw on Wednesday to happen on January 17th and that they could trace it back to Trump's tweets. Mm -hmm. And that was why they decided to act now. And I think that public safety part of it is such a big, uh, important thing. Yeah, I know a lot of people uh, watching and and waiting for the 17th. Uh, Hopefully nothing like what we saw earlier this week uh, happens again. But, uh, you know, time will tell, quite frankly. So I think on Twitter's part, uh, deplatforming Donald Trump, as you say, it's it's an important step to try and curb uh, future events like that. But, Mel, I'm wondering, like, you know, I I try to think about it. Um, I, I can't think of any recent moment in history where another head of state has had their social media profile, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook or wherever, banned from the platform like this before. I can't think of a single one. And some, like Vladimir Putin, who's, of course, quite a controversial figure, uh, chooses not to even have a Twitter profile, so they don't have to deal with the fact that they would maybe one day get banned. But I can't think of anybody else who's the president or a prime minister or anything like that being banned off a site like this before. Can you think of anything else like this? No, but I don't think that there's ever been a world leader who's used social media like this before. And so I think it is a very kind of unprecedented situation. You know, Trudeau's not going to get banned off of Twitter because he's, you know, tweeting out statements about, look at this, you know, happy thing that happened or, you know, I'm doing a press conference today. That's kind of all he tweets about. Um, And so I, I think that it's just a very unprecedented situation. Trump, you know, when he was elected and the way that he used Twitter during his campaign and in the you know, early days of his presidency demonstrated that he was going to be very different. His insistence on using his personal account rather than the POTUS account is a big part of that. Um, and so I think that this response is equally unprecedented um, and uh, fitting for kind of, you know, the, the Twitter president, as he was often called in headlines and think pieces. I just want to put on my devil's advocate hat here for a minute and uh, look at it the other way, because, um, you know, hopefully what this does is keep Donald Trump off of Twitter. Uh, We we don't have to deal with those um, interesting tweets any longer, at least not while he is president of the United States. But on the other hand, maybe this is sort of like an eye for an eye. And there's going to be those radical Trumpists and supporters uh, who think, well, if you're going to silence our leader, the, the person we voted for, the person we still support to this day and will never stop supporting, if you've silenced him, we are going to act out even more than we ever have in the past. Like, could you see this turning into uh, a spiraling event where we're going to see more really scary things happening across the U.S.? Well, I mean, I think that's why the timing of this is kind of controversial as well, that it is coming at a moment of such tension and such kind of volatility. And of course, it's important to remember that the the people, you know, Trump supporters, you know, the people who organized Wednesday's events, for example, 
are not necessarily doing that organizing through Twitter. Trump being off of Twitter does not really impact the spaces that they're in. They're in Reddit, they're in 4chan, they're in these other spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this new social media app called Parler that presents itself as kind of a free speech alternative to Twitter, and Trump's already reportedly trying to get in on there. And so I think these conversations with these people are still going, but I think um, the, the large platforming that Trump gave those voices and the way that he kind of talked about them on Twitter, that's what Twitter's trying to get rid of with this action. And like you said, you know, cover their own butts a little bit. Um, <laughs> and this time when the tide has turned so, so quickly on the administration that's currently in the U.S. Uh, she is Mel Woods, Associate Editor at Huffington Post Canada. Mel, always appreciate your insight into all things uh, related to social media and related to U.S. politics. The first time you and I got to connect uh, was following the presidential debate. And boy, was that an event. And uh, you saw and you were recording all these tweets from Americans who were and, and you've made the point since that this happens every time something like this happens. But you 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 recorded this high number of Americans tweeting, I'm going to move to Canada. I'm going to move to Canada. So if anyone knows about Twitter and and people's habits, it's you. So I really appreciate you giving us some time here tonight. Oh, I'm perpetually online. So always happy to help. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, let's get to some are you okays. We'll certainly open the phone boards later on in the show, 877-399-9898. But for now, let's bring in our friend, Roberto. Yeah, uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Always appreciate this masterful execution of the guitar. So let's get to it. Are you okay with butt dialing? With butt dialing. And I know it's a bit of a 180 from the more serious conversations we've been having tonight. What about you, Leo? Like, have you have you been the victim of a butt dial? Have you ever butt dialed somebody before? Yeah, but not on a, via a smartphone. I'm surprised that this is still a thing. Like, oh, but, it's a thing. Yeah, like butt dialing. Like, when I had flip phones, like, it, it used to have all the time. But, I mean, with, with like this touchscreen thing, I, I, I'm... Wait a second. How do you butt dial somebody with a flip phone? If you're, well, it's not if you're flipping be, the phone down, no, you can't do anything. Well, you, you, well, cause it, the, well it, it wouldn't open. It would stay in your pocket and uh, the... The keyboard wouldn't lock down, and it, like, it would dial all the time. Like, sure. I, I would open my flip phone, like 10 calls, and you know, I didn't make any of those calls, but we're here with this? I care. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So I, I've been the victim of a butt dial. I think most of us have. I've also been the perpetrator of a butt dial by mistake, but again, all of these are usually done by mistake. Fun fact, the last time I was a victim of a butt dial was last week when I was filling in for Shane on the uh, on the shift and I was working with producer Ryan and Ryan called me in the middle of the day randomly. I'm like, oh, this is kind of unexpected. Maybe there's something important going on. Maybe he can't work tonight. And I opened the, the call and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Silence, like just silence. I'm like, hello? And Ryan, Ryan wasn't there. It was a butt dial. I never told him about it. But if he wants to prove it, he can just go back to his phone log and see that he called John Jang last week at some point, just randomly out of the blue. So I'm assuming that was a butt dial. Are you okay with butt dials? Well, let's laugh at it a little bit. You could die in every movie. Adam, why are you calling me? Yo, why are you calling my girl? Yo, relax. Look, it's a butt dial. It's a very common thing. That's right. Oh, all right. Babe, look at what Adam just texted me. Why are you texting my girl? Relax. Look. It's a butt text. It's a very common thing. But it's a whole paragraph. Almost like you typed it. My butt has fingers. 
It's got notifications. Somebody was using my card. Why saying the delivery is going to your address? Whoa, whoa, take it easy. Look. It's a butt buy. You know, it's a very common thing. No, it ain't common. <laughs> it's a butt buy, man. All right. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. All right. The reason we bring this up, the two best crime stoppers in the UK on Wednesday this week were also two of its worst criminals. So get this. After police got a pocket dialed phone call in the middle of a burglary. Hmm. So the incident happened Wednesday in England, and according to Chief Inspector John Owen of Staffordshire Police, one of the suspects accidentally sat on his phone during a burglary, dialed 999, which is the British equivalent of 911, and then the operator, of course, as they're trained to do, never hang up on calls, listening to the entire thing, realized there's something suspicious going on, reported the call to police, stayed on the line while authorities rushed to the scene, and of course, arrested the two burglars and yes the incident was so humorous to british police that the chief inspector tweeted about this and when he tweeted he actually included a gif or a gif depending on your preference of the word and it's of marv from home alone when he's trying to of course break into uh, the the McAllister's home it's just an incredible story where the suspect the guy who was trying to burglarize someone actually ends up calling the police on himself so justice was brought thanks to buttocks. Who would have thunk? All right, let's bring back Roberto one more time here. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make this one quick. Are you okay with Olive Garden? Olive Garden. Leo, where do you come on Olive Garden? Have you been there before? Uh, no. You've never been to Olive Garden? Interesting. All right. Uh, you and I will have to have a hot dinner date one, one of these nights uh, when, <laughs> when it's safe to do so. There's an Olive Garden in Langley, British Columbia, which is where I grew up. It's one of the only – in fact, I think it's the only Olive Garden location in all of British Columbia. So you and I will we'll make a plan to go out there. And in order to tell the story, I need to play some Italian music. So I'm just going to bring this in here. So Olive Garden – and maybe, Leo, you can, you can pop this down just a little bit. Olive Garden, in the middle of a big news story today, thousands of people were fooled by a fake tweet when an artist on Twitter posted an, an image on his profile that looked very authentic. The image is a fake written statement by Olive Garden using the company's stationery, using the company's logo. And they wrote that the restaurant chain was now working with the FBI and the Holiday Inn in Washington, D.C. to identify several of their guests who had participated in the raid on the U.S. Capitol earlier this week on Wednesday. And in this fake statement, they wrote, quote, in response, Olive Garden has invalidated our never ending pass to pass for several guests and revoked a lifetime pass to pass from Fox News anchor and reporter Sean Hannity. This fake tweet got thousands of people sharing it. And soon the actual Olive Garden, the real company, had to issue a statement to clarify they were not behind this message and that it was indeed fake. But it actually got so popular that even Sean Hannity had to respond tonight earlier on Fox News. Take a listen. I've said many times this week, I love Olive Garden. They have unlimited salad, un the most delicious garlic breadsticks, great pasta. Yeah, they have clubs. You, could, you can get pasta for life, as much as you can eat. Hot donuts with chocolate or caramel, you put it on top, powdered sugar, awesome. But today, a menacing report surfaced that Olive Garden had revoked my never-ending pasta pass. 
Well, I never signed up for the pasta pass. First of all, it's fake news. And by the way, um, I still plan on ordering from my local Olive Garden or wherever I happen to be traveling soon. Unless they ban me, which will be very, very sad, a sad day in my life. It's kind of like the moral of this entire show tonight. Social media, misinformation, fake news, whatever it is you want to call. The inability to trust what you're seeing online. And we do live in an age where there's so much of a knee-jerk reaction. When you see something coming up, you see that it looks kind of authentic. You say, hey, what the heck? It's real enough for me. And you believe it as fact. It becomes a story that's so big that the person that's been victimized in this story, and yes, Sean Hannity was in a way victimized by this story has to clarify on the air that it's not real. It's not true. So today, Olive Garden, also a victim in the middle of a news story that was never a news story. But because we live in the Twitter sphere in 2021, people made it a news story. It's the Shift Podcast. Let's get into it for the first time ever. It's the Big Jang Theory. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is The Big Jang Theory. So social media is a dangerous, dangerous place. As we know, it can be used for many, many harmful and hurtful manners. As we saw this past week with the president of the United States inciting a full revolt and seeing massive amounts of uh, mobs and, and rioters storm the U.S. Capitol and ultimately leading to tragic loss of life. By my last recount, five people had died, many more injured, including Capitol Police officers, those who had been involved with the riots who wanted to support and show their support for President Donald Trump. All of this to say that there are some silver linings to social media. And what I've learned personally over the past number of years, but specifically throughout 2020, is that social media is a great indicator of who is an idiot and who really isn't. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because really what I'm trying to tell you is that social media can be very useful. And what I loved hearing following the Wednesday revolt at the U.S. Capitol is that so many of these people that were guilty of charging the Capitol, of uh, you know resisting arrest, resisting orders from Capitol Police and U.S. Secret Service and whomever was there trying to protect the Congress uh, from being swarmed, a lot of these people decided, hey, you know what would be a great idea? If I took a selfie of what I'm doing here today and shared it to the rest of the world on the Internet. Not the brightest move, because now we have seen multiple news reports saying various people who have been documented and willingly shared information that they were there at the U.S. Capitol have been fired from their jobs because their employers do not support what they have been doing. We have seen reports that the FBI has taken massive amounts of photographs that they collected on social media of people, again, taking selfies and videos of them maybe having their feet up on Nancy Pelosi, uh, Pelosi's desk and, and just basically bragging that they were there. Hmm. It really makes a lot of our lives easier when we can identify right away by photos and videos shared by the perpetrators themselves that they were there. And this is a huge, huge opportunity and an adv- advantage for the rest of us who can say, oh, 
look at that. I'm scrolling through my newsfeed and I recognize someone at the uh, U.S. Capitol riot. This happened to have been my neighbor or this might have been my coworker. This might have been my boss. Social media has one silver lining that I've identified clearly in 2020, and that is the fools will identify themselves. They will identify themselves and make it easier for you to track them down. It's easier for you to know almost immediately if somebody that you just connected with on Facebook or on Twitter or any social media for that matter is someone that you really want to be friends with. All you have to do is a quick couple of scrolls through their timeline. Like Leo, if I didn't know you any better and we had just started working together, I would look up your profile on Facebook and try to see what is Leo like? What is Leo not like? What is Leo ranted about on Facebook? What is Leo following as a Twitter profile? And then all of a sudden, I can build this perception about who you are. And in some cases, like we've seen with the people that were rioting at the U.S. Capitol, we can see that not only are you supporting some of these things uh, by virtue of just following certain profiles and accounts, but if you're willing to share selfies and actual evidence that you were there yourself, you're just making it easier to oust yourself as arrogant, as ignorant, or as whatever. Social media, for the most part, is dangerous. And again, we're living in a very dangerous time where we have to be very careful about the things that we're absorbing and digesting on a day-to-day basis when we're on social media all the time. It's a wonderful social experiment that people have had where they'll put up a fake story just to see how many people retweet it, share it, comment on it, tag their friends in it without ever bothering to fact check whether or not that story is true. And it would maybe even depress you, scare you, make you sad how many people choose to just not worry about the background information, verifying anything, and just willingly take it at face value and say, this is true because I saw it on the internet. Fools will identify themselves. And if we've learned anything, it's that the internet, while dangerous, can be helpful in terms of pruning your friends list. Right or wrong, big or small, John Jang has a take on it all. This is The Big Jang Theory. Time for me to just shut up because it's time to learn Portuguese with Leo. But before that, Leo, you wanted to address something really fascinating that caught your eye earlier today. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so yesterday, uh, I think uh, yesterday uh, it was announced. This is something very dear to me when I saw the news yesterday. Um, so you know, about an hour ago, we were talking about uh, well, American affairs, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so, but this is uh, it matters to Canadian context too. When, so yesterday. The Montreal Symphony Orchestra, they appointed their new conductor. I'm just playing here in the background a performance of Mahler, uh, number, Symphony Number no. 5, oh. which is conducted by this conductor that was appointed yesterday. His name is Rafael Pagliari. He's from Venezuela. So I'm Brazilian, but in a larger context, I'm a Latino and I'm enamored with right. the culture of Venezuela. They're artists. This guy, Rafael Pagliari, he's also the music director of the San Diego Symphony in, down in California. Right. And he was taught under the, the El Sistema. That was a program by the late Jose Antonio Abreu, uh, the, the foremost Venezuelan orchestra instructor, uh, educator, who died in 2018. So 
for example, the LA, uh, the uh, the music director of the LA Philharmonic Orchestra, Gustavo Dudamel, was also taught by Jose Antonio Abreu. So it's great news. Uh, so he just arrived in Canada and. There will be on Sunday, which is already tomorrow because it's 1.35 mm -hmm. tomorrow, there will be on the Montreal Orchestra Symphony website at 2.30 Eastern Time, 2.30 p.m. There will be a live uh, live performance of the orchestra following all the health guidelines and everything. Right on. Uh, conducted by the new Director Rafael Payari from Venezuela. So they're gonna play Brand Symphony Number One in C Minor, Opus Number Sixty Eight. That was great. That was so dear to heart because Venezuela is going like three years now. Crimes against humanity. You only see bad stuff about yeah, them. Yeah, it's but been they a tough time. Yeah, wonderful artists that I've been enamored since I was a little kid. So. Yes, I, I just wanted to address that before. No, we got man, I, I I love that you're nerding out a little bit. I like and getting to, I, I'm very emotional. This, this is I, I loved it when I saw it yesterday. Well, no, I think it's fascinating it's, because I don't get to meet many people who listen regularly to symphonies and orchestras, for that matter. So it's uh, it's it's really cool, and I think it's very unique. Yeah. It's one of your distinguishing traits. Yeah, I did two years of classical piano. I had to stop because of. I mean, I couldn't afford it anymore. I want to get back someday. So, yeah, I, I have a little bit of classical music oh, background. An educated man. Yeah. Well, you know. But I, I can do the chopsticks. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> and that's not do. just because I'm Korean. I had to learn because my sister was taking some lessons. So she yeah. was kind enough to teach me how to play so chopsticks. It's great. And you guys are going to love him here in, the, in Montreal or whatever you, you watch. Uh, he, he's great. I've been following his work for, for a long time. Everybody that came from the LC Stemma, I, I follow, and they're pretty great. So, yes, it's great for Canada. He's, he's loving. He, he went in the media this morning saying, I'm embracing here in Montreal. It's very cold. Mm -hmm. I, want, he, I, I hope, like, when it's mid-February, if he's going to say he's that, that happy with the weather there. But Especially in Montreal. Yeah. Yes, minus uh, 20, minus 30. Yeah. Tons of ice, tons of snow, lots of gray outside. But... This is really exciting news, so I'm glad that you got to well, share thank it. You. Thank, thanks for letting me share that, John. That's, Not a problem, man. I, I, again, I think it's one of your distinguishing traits and uh, a, a fun fact about Leo. Not just Portuguese, or sorry, not just a Brazilian able to speak Portuguese, a massive fan and former practitioner of classical music. With that said, sir, are you ready to teach us some Portuguese? Oh, yeah. All right, let's get right into it with this brand new, uh, incredibly exciting audio. Let's hit it. Hola, shift heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. Ah. Oh. Oh, isn't that classy? And and we have to say a massive thank you to Matt, producer Matt MacArthur on the uh, uh, the shift with Shane Hewitt. Uh, he put all of these new audio pieces for us together. So my thanks to Maddie. Now, with that said, Leo, we've got some words. We got some things we need you to translate for us here in Portuguese to English, if you can. I'll try and say the words it doesn't always work out but let's start with the word banned because we know donald trump had his twitter account banned banido banido <laughs> banido yeah that's actually pretty fun to say like yeah. hey man don't get banidoed yes i like that a lot all right what about social media uh, so if you're going to say in singular, like one, it's yeah. rede social. Rede social? Yeah, rede social. That's singular. If you want to say in plural, like a bunch of stuff, like it's redes sociais. Redes sociais. Yeah, redes sociais. 
Okay. Hades socias. Yes. There you go. Right. That, that's the plural. Yeah. And, and what about this word, resignation, as Res- in there's a ton of people resigning from the White House staff? Yeah. Well, it's, it's why in Portuguese, it's more similar to renounce because the pronunciation is renuncia. Oh. So, yeah. So Re- renuncia? Yeah. Renuncia. But it means resignation. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and now what about inauguration, as so, in people want to see that inauguration happening sooner? Uh, yeah. So in the case of uh, in politics, like uh, Joe Biden's coming up on the 20th. So inauguration in uh, context of politics, it's posse. So Biden will take posse. So posse. He, yes. But you got to be careful also, with how you're pronouncing that one. Yes. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> posse. But inauguration also means like in a different context, like when you're opening up a business, a new store is going to open. Mm-hmm. So, there, in, so there's going to be an inauguration. But you don't say that in the context of politics. In uh, politics, you say posse. Posse. Yeah. Posse. But also, I, that's the same translation, inauguration, inauguration, but that's for all, all other contexts oh. except the politics context. All right. Well, we got some listener requests. Let's start with this one from Brian Head, who emailed me earlier in the day. He wants to know how to say, and this is painful for me to request, but he wants me to ask you to translate the phrase, Canada lost gold. That, of course, referencing to the world juniors. Yeah. yeah. So Canada, simply you can say, oh, Canada in Portuguese is Canada. So, o Canada perdeu a medalha de ouro. Oh, my goodness. Okay. O Canada perdeu. A medalha de ouro. A medalha de ouro. 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 Yes. O Canadá uh, perdeu. I don't want to learn this phrase. That's oh, the thing, man. That's tough, right? It still stings that Canada English lost. is just three words. Uh, yeah, right. Like we have to put an article, verbs, another article. Yeah. You know like, what I'll say about Canada losing gold? It's a reality check. We'll be back in the gold next year. There's always next year, as they say. All right, moving on. How about this one from Catherine? This one's a little nicer. I'm happy to learn this one. She wants to know how to say, don't worry, be happy. She's probably a Bob McFerrin fan. Mm. Don't worry. That's right. So, não se preocupe, seja feliz. Não se preocupe, seja feliz. Seja feliz. Seja feliz. Yeah. All right, I think I'm getting the hang of that one. This one is really tough, but we're going to try it anyway. It's going to be an epic fail. It's but poetic, though. Roadhammer wants to know how to say, and, and maybe Roadhammer is you know, trying to work that charm here a little bit. Your eyes sparkle like the brightest of stars. Roadhammer, why are you doing this to me? That's very poetic, man. I, oh, man. Seus olhos brilham como as estrelas mais brilhantes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Slow it down. Seus. Seus olhos. Olhos. Brilham. Brilham. Como. Como. As estrelas. As estrelas. Mais brilhantes. Mais brilhantes. There you go. Now, say, say all you want. Seus olhos brilham como as estrelas mais brilhantes. Yeah! Hey! That was a lot of fun. That was better than I expected. You know what's easier than that? Your eyes sparkle like the brightest of stars. It just don't. It just not, doesn't have the romance, the poetic, the Portuguese. Roadhammer is poetic. Man. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very poetic phrase. That's, that's a hell of a request. This is the Shift Podcast. Roadhammer, what have you done? What have you done? We just translated Road, Roadhammer's request to Portuguese with Leo. What was it? Your eyes sparkle like the brightest sun. 
brightest sunshine, something like that. Seus olhos brilham como as estrelas mais brilhantes. Ah, rolls off your tongue so nicely. Your eyes sparkle like the brightest of stars, of course. Well, Sizzling Steve in North Van saying, you two need to get a room. Look, man, is Roadhammer invited? Because, I mean, like, that's the biggest question here Menage tonight. Nope. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Steak dinners at the very least before <laughs> anything proceeds that way. Come on, Leo. Oh, man, no, that's not. Filet mignon medium rare. That's that's how I like it. Oh, yeah. Just in case you're wondering. No, jokes aside, uh, we appreciate the request to, uh, to learn from Uncle Leo here a little bit. And we got this request last minute in terms of translating, Leo, if you can do this on the spot. Sean in Cloverdale wants to learn how to say, please wear your mask in public. Uh Por favor, por gentileza. Okay, por favor, use. Por favor. So, yeah, por favor, use 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 sua máscara em público. Por favor, por is what I got. Por favor. Everything else just went whoop. Right oh, sorry, I, I I I went too fast. Por favor, use sua máscara em público. Use su máscara em público. Em público. Em público. Like public? Público. Yeah. Público. Yes, o por favor. You know what's really nice? I know I'm getting better at this because I don't sound Italian when I'm speaking Portuguese yeah. anymore. No, I don't you, sound doing, Italian. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're actually doing better. I'm not. I'm not just saying this for to make you feel better, but I actually, you're actually making progress. It's, well, it's great. You. Like, yeah, you know. It's it's really just the inflection of the tongue because it's it's again very different from speaking English and so if you uh, if you learn how to do it a little bit more properly or you just practice practice makes and perfect. the fact that you enjoy too it, ha- it helps ah oh, oh it's it's always a lot of fun so uh, you know some things are easy right like bombdea like that just that's easy yeah. boom in and out two syllables it's easy other ones can be a little bit more complicated so it's uh, it's definitely a little bit interesting uh, we got this one uh, this one saying hi missed the last call doing translation was it Slovak or Polish I need for a book working on how to say uh, lies have short legs so <laughs> it, I just want to hear that in Portuguese lies have short legs uh, yeah it's, it's actually a, a, a saying that's actually exists in Portuguese and it's literal so it, uh, a mentira tem perna curta a mentira tem perna curta. I'm not even going to try. A mentira. A mentira. Tem. Tem. Perna. Perna. Curta. Curta. Yeah, okay, slow I and mean, steady. Yeah. Slow I mean, and steady. And no. what about this one? Where have you been for seven years? So do I, do I have to translate this? You can try. Uh, okay. Uh, no, I, uh, uh, onde você esteve por, uh, por sete anos? Onde você esteve por sete anos? Question mark. Question mark. <laughs> Question mark means interrogação. That's all. Uh, interrogação. That. Interrogação. That's interrogação. Question mark. Oh my yes. goodness, we're learning a lot here tonight. So another edition of Learning Portuguese with Uncle Leo uh, wraps up here tonight. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback, the requests that you've thrown into the text message inbox eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.